Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Hello, hello, I'm Holly Wainwright. And I'm Andrew Datto, and this is this glorious mess, Big Kids, Mamma Mia's podcast for parents who make other parents envious by going on Moolies and talking about it glowingly. Me last week when I was talking about my Moolies weekend. And looking at you now, still glowing. I know, I may, it's going to take a while for that to wear off. But it's amazing how long it, like, I'm not saying you look different before you went, but you look staggering, like just... Just the glow, isn't it? It's the sunshine. He has and the... to be careful about what he's saying because I'd be like, really? <laughs> How did I look before I went? <laughs> you know what I mean? I do. Look, today we are talking about life-changing teachers. Do you have a teacher that you really remember from school, Andrew? I do. I had a good one and a bad one. The bad one was my HSC English teacher who would walk in without essays, throw them in the air and go, get those on your way out, right? Oh, he was ouch. appalling. He was actually appalling. He's a very, very smart man and a good teacher, but his manner was memorably awful. Lacking. And then there was actually a couple of really good ones, good sports and good moral compass kind of teachers. Yes. And you? I do. I remember a teacher I had in primary school called Mrs. Moore who was very, she was quite old-fashioned. Teachers who always impressed me because obviously my kids are at primary school and I'm quite engaged with their teachers in different ways are the ones who really know the kids. You know what I mean? Yeah. They really see the kids. And so I just remember Mrs. Moore was very like, she wouldn't take any of your nonsense. You know what I mean? But she yeah. also kind of paid attention to you and noticed, oh, you're good at English, so we'll press those buttons. You know, like I think that that's really what you want in a teacher. But the reason we're talking about this is because today we are joined by officially one of the best teachers in the world. In the world! Yeah, and she's from Sydney, a suburb on the edge of Sydney, which is amazing. Yeah, she is called Rebecca West, and she's a teacher at Bonnie Rigg Public School in the southwest of Sydney. And she was recently nominated for the Global Teacher Prize, which sees only 10 teachers from around the world get nominated. And she's coming on a little later to talk about what she thinks makes a good teacher. And it's really interesting because... She works in a very multicultural area. 70% of the school's students don't speak English as their first language. And yet the outcomes at her school are remarkable and well above average. And she is going to tell us how that works and what it takes to make a good teacher. I'll bet you, Holly, that her dream was always to be a teacher. You reckon? Yeah, has to be. Do you think teachers are born not? I do. I actually do. I do. You'd be a terrific teacher. Do you reckon? I do. I'm a bit scared of groups of kids. I'm always really impressed that teachers can just stand up there in front of everybody and be like, so we're doing this. I'm like, really? Are we? Oh, okay. You know, kids want to be told they what want to do. Some authority. Yeah. So exactly. she'll be great. Before we get on to talking to one of the world's best teachers, and before we do our nailed and failed, we have a parenting mentors question. Oh, yeah. Parenting, parenting mentors. 
parenting mentors. Do we get a cape? It's from Haley, and she says, My seven-year-old is a perfectionist. She loses it when she doesn't get something right or perfect, especially around her creative endeavours. She has always been into arts, craft making, etc. And she's also super active. She dances and swims and has very good skills. But when she thinks it's not right, there's absolutely no way she is positive about her endeavour. She frits her teeth and displays anxious tics like scratching and squeezing and so on. I've been thinking about getting her tested for ADHD for a while, but she does really well at school, so it doesn't present as a problem. I'm definitely looking into this, but in the meantime, has anyone got any recommendations of things that might help? Mm. I want to know, first of all, Andrew, because the ADHD question is a little bit separate, and I do have some experience in that, but the perfectionist part, do you reckon that perfectionists are born or are they made? Um, it's very interesting that you ask that because I read an interesting article the other day about tiger mums and the lady who wrote the tiger mum story. Oh, that's right, yeah. And how her children, so one's at Yale and one's at somewhere and one's a lawyer and like they're phenomenal. And the daughter is actually wanting, has said she will be a tiger mum like her mum. No judgment, but it's just I'm so far from a tiger mum that they yeah. make me feel very insecure. But the whole way through the article, they talk about the problems tiger mums could be putting upon their children, you know, the, the social and, and mental expectations. So You think they can be made? It's nurtured. It's got to be nurtured. It'd be very hard to be natured to be like belting yourself to make sure everything's perfect, wouldn't it? I don't know. I think personality traits can be innate. As our listeners saying, her seven-year-old is losing it when she doesn't get something right or perfect. Now, I know lots of kids like this who will be drawing and then it isn't exactly how they had it in their head. So they'll scrumple it up and that's it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Bill, Actually, Billy's like that. And he has always been like that. And it's a lot of pressure on yourself. And I think it's interesting how our listener says she's going to get her daughter tested for ADHD. I think that's probably a good idea, but because lots of ADHD kids do have this trait, but also if it's not a problem, then you don't necessarily need to, of course, that's, you know, entirely up to you because like many personality traits, you can channel it for your betterment. Like it yeah. can be a strength as well as a weakness. But what I think more broadly the way it can be bad is that in my older child so Matilda who's 11 if she's not good at something she doesn't want to do it right so that's becoming as she gets older and more self-conscious it's becoming a barrier because you know how you just want them to have a go at stuff like yeah. you know just have a go joining that team joining that club trying that subject doing that thing and she'll be like no I'm going to be bad at it and everyone's going to laugh at me and I'm not going to do it and that's like a different kind of perfectionism, right? It's like a self-conscious perfectionism. Yes. So I don't know. Like, I don't know how you overcome that. I'm not a perfectionist. I'm really not. I'm more of a, like, let's have a go and see how good it can well, be. Well, as Hayley says, she's seven. She's like, she's, I'd say, only seven. So there's a lot of water to flow under the bridge and a lot of failures to come and things like that. So maybe... It's just one of those things as a parent to embrace the failures as well. You go, oh my God, wow, that didn't work out the way we planned, did it? Don't worry, see how it's okay. So sort of emphasize the failures because they're inevitable. Maybe that might be the try and counterweight the perfectionism. And I'd just say on the last part is that if it is becoming an issue for your child and you think it is causing her significant anxiety, then definitely ask for help. Definitely talk yeah. to your doctor about it and get referred because there's perfectionism that kids 
can have and get over and then there's something that you need to sort out. So we'll put some links yeah. to some information sources like the amazing Lou Cushell who's been on our show before who runs an advocacy for ADHD. We'll put some of those links in our show notes. Okay. And would you talk to your teacher as well possibly? You know, yeah, that might be a good place to start because the teacher's there with the kid, you know, all day or five days a week. So that might be a good place to start. And, you know, and we are talking to the teacher of the year in a minute. We are. So, huh? you know. <laughs> yeah, since we don't know anything, as parenting mentors, as we always say, Andrew and I, we don't have any qualifications, mm. just a lot of experience. So remember, don't take our word as gospel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you'd love our opinion, email us anytime at tgm at mamamia.com.au. We love to hear from you, big or small dilemmas. Rebecca West, or Mrs. West, as her students call her, is one of, if not the, Australian's best teacher. Hello, Rebecca. G'day, Rebecca. If you're wondering why we can use that very bold introduction, it's because you have actually been nominated as one of the only 10 teachers from around the world for a global teacher prize. I was so impressed when I read about this that I said, we've got to talk to Rebecca because teachers don't get enough glory and also... What it takes to make a great teacher is something that I am fascinated about. So first Mm. of all, let's do a few of your credentials. You teach kindy, is that right, Rebecca? No, no, my role is deputy principal instructional leader. So I I do work with kindy. So primarily in our school, it's kindergarten to year two that's the main focus for literacy and numeracy. Although, you know, being someone who likes to wear lots of hats, I'll be in other classrooms as well. So I do go into those classrooms to either model demonstration lessons or provide observations and feedback or team teach with those teachers. So ideally it's around building capacity of teachers, especially around beginning teachers as well. So yeah, you can't keep me out of the classroom though. I do love being in there. (laughs) It says that your students have well above average outcomes in writing and numeracy and that over 70% of the students at your school don't speak English as their first language, which I guess is something that people might be surprised at as a hurdle to achieve those kind of results. But tell me a little bit about the kids at your school. So we do have, yeah, very high EALD, we call it, which is English as an additional language or dialect. And that can provide significant barriers when they start school on top of the fact that this is a very low socioeconomic area. So we've got some families here who are in emergency housing, which could mean that they're refugees or they're fleeing domestic violence. And again, that's just more complexity when they start school. So the fact that we've got those results when we talk about above in certain areas, they're the levels that we can get when those kids hit year five because of significant interventions that we're putting in those early years. So when they start school, well behind some of them two years behind the peers that you would see in other schools so we put a lot of work into literacy and numeracy to make sure that once they hit sort of that year five level and we're prepping them to go off to big high school uh, that they're either meeting or exceeding those expected outcomes so for families who have got kids in the and so this is a generic teaching question and parent question but if your kids are in the grade one two three four and they're struggling 
is it a level of major concern? Should like, I mean, because I've always sort of thought you can go, look, there's a long time to catch up at primary school. Is that actually the case? Or is it a matter of in those earlier years, that's when you really need to jump on their literacy and numeracy? Definitely something to jump on in early years. However, okay. it's not one of those things like it's the end of the world if their light hasn't quite yeah, switched yeah. on straight away. So we do see some of those kids that will hit year three and year four and suddenly hit their stride for whatever reason, uh, whether it's a teacher that's highly engaging yeah. or things are just finally starting to click with them there's all sorts of layers there but early intervention is absolutely key especially if you've got kids who have speech issues uh, you know if there's a language diagnosis there uh, the earlier the better uh, we've got a teacher here who always says that year one is the sponge year. That is when they absolutely soak it up. You'll right. see the most growth because they've kind of had kindy to settle and make their friends. And then year one is when they start to click and realize, oh, I'm actually meant to be learning and demonstrating something. Yeah. So that's a great year yeah, right. for it. However, though, I think one of the biggest successes that we have here at Bonnie Rig is that every teacher is dedicated to a child's personal best. It's not about we must meet state criteria and that's drill, drill, drill until we get that. It's about growth for every kid. As long as we see growth in every kid, that's our biggest focus because, you know, all kids in their own time. Now, teachers can get a lot of grief, to be honest, like a bit of a, a bit of negativity, especially in a difficult year like this when schools have been open and closed and parents are confused and everybody's, you know, confused about what's going on. Tell me a little bit about what made you want to be a teacher where your passion for being a bloody great one comes from. It's funny. I've told this story a couple of times now, but I didn't want to be a teacher. <laughs> I I had this thing in high school. I wanted to be a lawyer, specifically military <laughs> law, and I put it down to the fact that I just liked watching Jag with my mum. <laughs> Back in the day, it was a good show. I, I don't know. I had a sense of, I guess, moral purpose around social justice and wanting to help others. And I think that's where that came from. Teaching was my safety net when my parents, you know, as mm. parents do, you'd make a great teacher. And I think my dad was a bit like mm. the old idea of, well, it's a good job to have yeah. if you're a mom and it's nine to three and 12 weeks holidays. And wow, did they learn it's not. <laughs> I got into teaching. I missed out on law by like 0.35 of a mark. But Back then we had um, practicums right early in the course. So fourth week, first semester, I was in a kindergarten classroom and something in me clicked that day and I hadn't looked back. I knew I was exactly where I was meant to be and I remember driving home with my mum that afternoon when she picked me up from the prac day and I said, I don't think I want to transfer into law. I think I want to stay. And, um, you know, mum gives yeah. that lovely little, you know, look like, yes, I knew, dear. I knew. <laughs> oh. <laughs> So when you ring him up and you go, hey, listen, I'm actually nominated for Teacher of the Year, which is yeah. unbelievable, <laughs> they must have, they must have they, died. Yes, mum does the tears and the joy and everything and, and they're always telling me, you know, how proud they are and they've always been part of of my own education as well as me becoming an educator too, to the point where, you know, I'm teaching and it's open classrooms day and my mum comes to visit to watch me teach and there's parents in the back going, oh, which one's yours? And she's like, the big one down the front. <laughs> <laughs> Very supportive. So, you know, they've come yeah. to school performances and helped me make costumes and things like that in my career. So I, I think they gave me that, you know, that mindset around education can be family-based and family-oriented as well. It's not separate from the home. It can work together. And I, I think that's probably part mm. of what makes me passionate as a teacher and what I bring to the table as well is that I definitely work with families as much as I can to make that a team effort. You know, it takes a village. <laughs> 
Well, that leads me to ask you what you think makes a great teacher because parents, most of us remembered the teachers that made a difference in our lives, the ones who maybe believed in us when other people didn't or encouraged us to follow a passion that we weren't sure about or... But you've just spent, I mean, not probably, possibly not physically given the pandemic situation, but you've just spent a bit of time in the cohort of the 10 best teachers in the world. So what do you think makes a great teacher? It is interesting if you put it into the perspective of the other finalists as well, because if you consider some of those countries like Ghana was in the top 10 and we had, you know, the Philippines and we've got teachers struggling to get books for schools. Meanwhile, I'm here with my iPads and my touchscreen technology and all of these wonderful things that we get because we're in a a developed nation that supports education we could argue that it could be supported more, but hey, I've got some great things going at my school and I do feel quite (laughs) supported uh, where I am. I think recognizing some of those challenges maybe makes me appreciate that a little bit more as well and, and recognize that some of the challenges that are presented to us can be overcome if we think creatively or or innovatively about it and, and work collaboratively with our colleagues. I think it's important to note, I don't necessarily think there are great teachers I think there are great moments as teachers and I think every teacher is capable of having great moments and I relate to this so much because if I think back to the year I was pregnant with my daughter, I was so incredibly sick and I didn't have the same energy for my students. I didn't have that same level of passion and dedication because quite frankly I was hovering over a toilet bowl most mornings and evenings and I just couldn't do it and that's the reality of teaching is that we're human beings Mm. and we we all have things that we're going through as well and through the pandemic we learned there are a lot of teachers in isolation living at home there are a lot of teachers who care for their elderly parents or grandparents and have are caring for their own children their own families and we have all sorts of levels of mental health that we're now aware of because that's brought that to the forefront and teachers are part of that collective group of humans so uh, when I talk about you know what makes a teacher great I don't think that's something that necessarily that person embodies 24 7 all hours of the day yeah, and that sure. expectation that we have as teachers that's a really good um, point that we are all capable of great moments especially depending on the cohort yeah. of kids that you're presented with. You know, one year you could have that great set of kids that are all on the ball and then the next year, you know, you'll have the police at the door. <laughs> so, back on that, what's it like the first, you know, you get your kids and you nourish them and you nurture them and, you know, you mould them into what pretty much what you would want them to be by the end of the year and then that, that year starts because it's, I know we're near the end of this one, but the next one's going to start soon enough. What's that first couple of days like? Is it... Is it exciting or are you going, oh? It's always exciting, always exciting. And I think it's better if you can always have a a fresh mindset for every kid. There's always that one Johnny that'll be like, oh, my God, you've got Johnny. I feel so bad for you. How could you do that? But you know what? Let Johnny prove you wrong because I've seen that in my own classroom with kids that you don't go in, you know, with that that previous mindset in and I've seen it in other teachers too that go do you know what that was last year new year new start this is me my classroom and this is what I expect of you in my classroom and this is how we'll work together so if you're a beginning teacher though it's normal to have the butterflies you still have it even after 15 years you get excited and butterflies for what that year could be is there something that we can do as parents to help teachers on the home front reading 
really seriously, reading is such a big thing because it leads to so much more. And I've seen that even in my own kids at home. I think the reason my own children like reading at home is because I and my husband like reading and we model it and reading in everything. So my children can jump online and, you know, do a search. So my my youngest is five and he loves going on Google Earth because he just likes to type in countries and go find places in countries. He can do that because he can read. Uh, you know, if there's a kid out there who has yeah. zero interest in history whatsoever, but really likes learning about sports, they can access books, they can access the internet, they can YouTube videos. You need to be able to read to do those things. It really is the key to everything else, even if it's not about the text, but it's about the subject or the content. You know, if there's a kid out there that loves bugs, yeah. they need to be able to read to engage with that fully. So I think that's yeah. the biggest thing. And we know there's research out there that says, Right from pregnancy, while you are pregnant, read to your child, even if it's once a day, have books around and let them engage in it. They don't even have to read it. They can just flip through and look at the at the pages in the book. You know, reading is yeah. such a, a pivotal thing moving forward in life to be able to access the things that you really enjoy. And Beck, books, like reading books as opposed to reading from a phone or reading from an Anything. iPad? Anything. Anything really. I mean, I, because I don't want to okay. set that expectation on parents and go, it must be a high quality picture book that you've picked up from Dimex or something like that. You know, whatever you can access. If all you can access is books online or even storyline online, I think it's one. Like if you go to YouTube, there's people reading stories for free so the kids could still have access yeah. to that. So if that's the only way you can do it, then do it. But, you know, obviously there's nothing quite like the feeling of a fresh book in your hands either. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'd love to ask you before we go that parents in Australia, even though as you've already spelled out how lucky we are in many ways, compared, like how privileged we are in many ways compared to a lot of the countries that you've just been in that group with, are obsessed with schools and good schools and bad schools and fancy schools and not fancy schools and all those things. And as we discussed before, like your school wouldn't necessarily be considered a fancy school, would it? But it's got one of the best teachers in the world in it. What do you think parents should focus on more than that? You know, the school's got the best swimming pool and the, and the library and all that stuff. <laughs> question. Like, Great what's question. important? Uh, I think the biggest thing is, is honing in on the things that are interesting to your child and what those values are that come from your home life as well. Because obviously if that sort of value you have in your family or your culture, it's going to make it difficult to support those things. So, I mean, yeah, having access to a swimming pool at a school is great, but only if your kid's actually interested in swimming or sports or that's what their avenue is. I mean, there's no point having that if your kid is the best singer or loves a musical instrument or really wants to delve into that. And yeah, we know there are schools out there that try and provide all of those things, but really, I guess what we want is to spark that interest in what it is and find a way for them to be able to access that in quote unquote, the real world, you know, there's nothing quite like, I guess, being on the stage, but hey, going to see something at the opera house is just a whole other experience. So the thing that we've noticed here during that lockdown is, I don't know if this is the right phrase for it, but I've been calling it technology poverty, you know, that limited access. So yeah, a family might have a smartphone in the home, but it's one phone between five people and very limited data. So all those things I'm talking about, like, hey, jump online and read a book, they still can't access that. So 
things like mm. the library, knowing you can go and access the library and access those things. So I guess it's that idea around lifelong learning and seeking things that you can learn about. So the idea that you can go to the opera house and there will be events for free. There are kids events, you know, there are those things that are available, but it means that, you know, you have to make sure that people are aware of these things. And that comes down to community engagement and working together. So I guess the biggest thing I would want, you know, from parents is develop that sense of community around your school so that you are aware when those things are going on, when we're sharing that information with you, or if our local council is running something that we can share that with you as well, because out here at Fairfield Council, they do amazing things to support the community with lots of free events and activities and creating spaces for families to go and engage in those things. So I guess that really comes down to open communication and creating those opportunities where if there is a language barrier, we can communicate that stuff. I guess really it comes down to being a lifelong learner, knowing that you can just keep learning outside of school, beyond school. It doesn't have to be just a school thing. It doesn't open and close with the, the school gate. And you say you didn't want to be a teacher. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I bet you learn a lot from the kids at your school all the time. Oh, absolutely. And that's, again, one of those things that's come out of COVID is just kids constantly prove how resilient they can be and and when they step up to the plate. And again, you know, a community where I've said we've got some people fleeing domestic violence, refugees fleeing war-torn countries, kids are so much stronger than we often give them credit for, but that doesn't mean they can be punching bags. They still need to have that emotional Mm. and psychological support when those things are happening. And, you know, just like now kids coming back to school they're very tired. They've had a lot of, a long time yeah. at home where they haven't had to sustain that same concentration mm. and that we've all been quite sedentary. And so at this point, as much as we want to catch them up, we've still got to meet them at their point of need. If they're, they're too tired, we've just got to give them a minute and cut back some slack a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Look, thank you so much, Mrs West, <laughs> for talking to us today. Congratulations on being one of the finalists for the Best teacher in the world. Best teacher in the world. <laughs> Thank you. Good on you, Rebecca. It's been such a Fantastic. pleasure talking to you. Nailed it. You failed. That was amazing talking to Mrs. West, Andrew. She had big teacher energy, didn't you think? Do you know what I wanted to ask and didn't because it would have just been puerile and stupid to ask how many times a week she looks at the kids, turns to the the smart board now, the old-fashioned blackboard, and go, Jesus. <laughs> oh, my God. And then turns around and goes, okay, everyone. Oh, but, you know, like must do that all day, every day. Yeah, I would think so. Now, nailed and failed. Last week, you were all glowy and just amazing. Mate. You, Molly. Back to Mate. reality with a bump coming back. One of the mm. things I came back to, and I don't want any animal rights activists to get on me about this, but it's not. I'm not proud of it, is a glass bowl full of sludge at my back door that has been there for some time since Matilda thought that it would be good to try and get some tadpoles from the creek and raise them as her own. I don't know. That's the best. Right? That's the best. Well, it was good when they were first came and she was interested and she like changed their water sometimes and we all watched them wriggling around and growing. And then she lost interest, as children do. And then I went away and things happened. And now at the back door, we just have this like sludgy, 
mess of green mush and I was tapping on it today like to see if they were still moving and I think that they might be former tadpoles I think they might be dead now I'm like Matilda you took those tadpoles from their natural environment brought them home to us to raise as your own and now you've murdered them don't do that you are a tadpole killer don't Holly don't do that and I don't know where this child has learned about responsibility, Andrew, but... No, there were a bird who would have, a cormorant, that would have normally eaten them in the pond, and the cormorant has come and taken them from the backyard. So nature's cycle continues, <laughs> and if kids aren't allowed to mess with tadpoles, there's something very, very wrong in the world. Well, that's true. Okay, so it's not a fail. Oh, no, it's a hard nail, that one. It's a great bringing tadpoles home to turn them into frogs. <laughs> That's, you know, that's Huckleberry Finn stuff. That's why we moved to the country, isn't it? That's right. (laughs) No, I think that's a great story. Well, there you go. Dead tadpoles in our backyard. I'm going to have to face that bowl sooner or later. I haven't yet, but I will. Andrew, how did you go this week? I would have loved to have had a dead tadpole story. We had a dead car story. So this is the whole thing, of the whole other side to it. And, you know, 10.30 phone call. I'm in bed. I had a very busy day the next day, Holly. Uh, (laughs) So I'm already in bed and I get the, dad, the car won't start. Okay. It's probably the, is the steering wheel locked, you know, it turned too far and then it won't start. So it's not that. The battery's dead, whatever. And then Jackie goes, all right, look, I'll just go and pick her up. Jackie picks her up and then brings her home. I said, what was wrong with the car? And Jack goes, I didn't even, I forgot about the car entirely. <laughs> just thought I was picking her up at her boyfriend's house. So the car's right? just stuck there. Car's stuck there. So what do you reckon was wrong with the car if it wasn't the battery and it wasn't the lock? Petrol. No. Fantastic call. Oh. What was it? Yeah. It was in gear. Oh. Is it automatic in gear, right? Come on. It's hilarious. So this is the thing. It's not a – look, it's probably a fail because you just would never imagine that you would do that. Like I would never imagine that would be a thing that not be able to start the car. It's a reminder that everything is a learning process. Yes. Is relentless. When I was a little backpacker, I did that. I hired this big ute to drive to the Blue Mountains or something. I didn't mean to hire a ute. I meant to hire something else, but that was all that was left. And you couldn't start it in gear, obviously, but I'd never driven an automatic before. I didn't understand. I called the bloody NRM. (laughs) And they were like, oh, mate, you idiot. Mate. And there's so much to learn. And to her credit, right, she just goes, dad. How about it? How about it? And so just as a tip to parents to tell their kids, if they really own their mistakes and make fun of their mistakes, they'll get away with much more. Mm. Don't you reckon? Yeah, definitely. You just go, oh, oh how about it? <laughs> I love so it's pretty it. funny. Oh, dear. It's good. That's all we have time for this week on This Glorious Mess. As I said, remember to send us your parenting dilemmas if you want to at tgm at mamamia.com.au. And also remember you can pat yourself on the back because just by reading or listening to our content, you're helping to fund girls in schools in some of the most disadvantaged countries in the world. Through our partnership with Room to Read, we're currently funding 300 girls in school every day and our aim is to get to 1,000. Find out more about that on mamamia.com.au. And if anyone's looking for a different podcast to sink your ears into, try The Quickie. It's Mamma Mia's podcast that covers the news headlines. Five minutes long and you get a deep dive into the latest developments to bring you up to speed and it happens daily. It sounds like this.
What's the one piece of advice that you'd give people looking at travelling again now in our current climate, whether that be domestic or international? What advice would you give us before we jump on board? I would definitely say what we've experienced over the last 18 months is disruption. So it's making sure that you're, I guess, taking some plans and some steps to actively manage that disruption. So things like insurances, making sure that you have insurance, you have COVID-related cover. Some countries won't allow you to enter unless you have that. But also, you know, you need to get the advice and you need to make sure that you're booking through a means or a brand or a channel such as Flight Centre where we can actually step you through the process. Check out the quickie in your favourite podcast app today. This glorious mess, Big Kids, is brought to you by Mamma Mia, Little Kids Every Monday with Lee and Tegan. And this episode is produced by Michaela Floriano. Thanks, Michaela. Bye. Bye. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.